Welcome to the first edition of the Indiana Basketball Source podcast for the 2016-2017 season. I am Trevor Andershock along with Jeff Shanley. We'll be going through the preseason polls that were recently released by the AP, recent college commitments, and the transfer rates of IHSAA that we discovered recently. At this point, let's bring in Jeff Shanley and get this thing rolling. Trevor, let's start off here with the AP poll for high school basketball, the preseason poll that was released uh, earlier this week. Some interesting names here, and I think we're going to start off by talking about just how these polls are, I guess, constructed. I've never been a fan of the AP preseason polls. I think I made that pretty clear over the last few years. Basically, most writers just take the previous year's final poll and make that the preseason poll without considering who graduated and who's returning for these teams. So I don't give these preseason AP polls much validity at all. No, I mean, some some are fairly obvious, I think, such as New Albany got placed at the, at the top of the 4A poll, obviously bringing back Romeo Langford off a state title. You can make a case there, but then you go on down the line, and there there's certainly some teams who did lose a lot to graduation, uh, or transfers that uh, are still showing up in each class and kind of makes you wonder, like you said, there's not really a whole lot of validity. And even with some schools, particularly at the lower classes, 1A and 2A, may have some freshmen that can step up and play varsity immediately that could end up paying some dividends for them. Yeah, I mean, a few that really stand up uh, stand out in the 4A, Evansville Wrights at 14, despite losing guys like uh, Drew Smith and Blake Ruckman. I don't think they're going to be a top 14, 15, 20 team in 4A this year. So you have teams like that, and then you rank a a really talented Fort Wayne North team all the way down at 17. So I just think there's a lot of a lot of air here. Yeah, I mean Fort Wayne North has two high major kids on their roster, six eight, six nine. Jalen Butts signed with DePaul recently, and then you have the uber-talented sophomore forward Keon Brooks, and then the backcourt, uh, the leader, Devontae Kinney. Um, obviously a very experienced point guard for the Legends. It's going to take me some getting used to calling Fort Wayne Northside the Legends. but Yeah, I always think it's sarcastic when I see it, and, yes. and not their actual mascot name. Yes, but we'll go with that now. Um, a, a name you mentioned uh, kind of off-air before we started this was Castle, who brings back a lot of people from a 19-6 and six team last year, including Iowa signee forward... Jack Nungy, um, obviously going to be the focal point of what they do. Alex Hemingway, another really talented wing down there. So that's a team. I see South Bend Riley. Uh, twenty Tied for 21st. Tied for 21st, bringing back the, pretty much their whole roster, minus Riantre Lawrence from a team that went to semi-state two years ago, yeah. went to regional last year. Yeah, this is their third year together, basically. Plus, they keep adding talented youngsters. So if if they perform anywhere near their their potential, I mean they're going to be a top ten team, no doubt. Top five team more than likely. Yeah. And even below them, you have Crown Point, uh, Sasha Stefanovic, Andrew Keneally, Fort Wayne Snyder down there at the bottom. Obviously with Louisville signee Malik Williams. Um, just some puzzling puzzling names up there uh, in the top ten. A couple teams that uh, did lose a lot this year. Yeah. And- 
I don't totally blame, you know, the AP voters for doing that since most of them cover other sports. So they're not making their rounds in the spring and summer and doing their research to see who's going to be up and coming teams statewide. They're just covering their own area. So I understand it, but I just, uh, maybe just wait and don't even put out a preseason poll. Wait a couple of weeks and yeah. do a, a first regular season poll without having these set in stone here. It's almost like with, People talking about college football not releasing a poll until maybe the first week of October. Maybe they shouldn't release a poll until maybe the first or second week of December. Let teams get, you know, three, four games under their belts. We can get a little bit clearer idea to see how it's going to shake out. Yeah, because I think another reason why you would wait a while is because you're taking this initial poll, and if they don't lose for the first few games, they're going to stay in the top five, ten, Mm -hmm. even when – they have no real resume to be that high. Yeah. And you even see, you know, some schools, I know Carmel is, is still playing football, and they're going to have a couple kids uh, from the football team playing uh, basketball this year. It's going to take a while to get those guys uh, into the flow of things there. So it just seems kind of counterproductive. We're uh, taking a look now at, at 3A, uh, Park Tudor with the nod. Obviously, losing Jaron Jackson, Michigan State signee, to uh, transfer to La Lemire is going to hurt a little bit. Marion at two, losing uh, VJ Blackman now at St. Francis and Reggie Jones, who really kind of spurred them to their 3A state title last year. Obviously, some big losses for the top two. Yeah, and then even at the third spot, you have Northwood, who lost a ton of talent with Braxton Linville, uh, DK Fox, um, I think there's a who's the third guy is back. Yeah, Vincent Miranda is back. Uh, I thought there was a third guy, but I could be wrong about that. You know, and Griffith at five losing the Murphy twins. Obviously, a big big loss for them. Those guys had won a lot of games for the Panthers. Uh, We go down the line. uh, Tipton losing Mason Degenkolb. So you just see a lot of attrition through graduation, particularly in the top ten of three A pool. Uh, I think one team that could finish the year a lot higher is at the 14 spot, Crispus Attucks, under first-year head coach Chris Hawkins, a very talented group there in downtown Indy. Yeah, there's few teams that can match up with them athletically, and they have skill skill guys across the board, basically. Um, they should be able to play four or five guards most of the time and do quite well this year. So, yeah, 14 is way too low for a preseason ranking of them. And Burbuff at 12, that's going to be a sectional matchup between Burbuff and Attucks. So one of those two teams isn't going to make it out of sectional, but both of those guys are really talented. We we flip over to 2A and look at the number one team, LaPel. I think both of us don't have any hesitation about putting them at number one again. Uh, they got a lot, of, a lot of pieces from their state title winning team back, uh, mainly 6'5", 6'6", John Ross Richardson. Uh, lost Cam Harrington, their point guard, to graduation, but they sit atop 2A. Not going to have a whole lot of uh, whole lot of naysaying from us on that. Yeah, it looks like 2A is going to be pretty wide open this year. Bowman Academy's kind of reloaded. <clears throat> they brought in a lot of big pieces, literally big, meaning a lot of guys over 6'5", 6'6", guys. So it'll be interesting to see what type of year Bowman has. Oak Hill at the four spot has some size. Uh, can maybe contend with them. I know Caleb Middlesworth, six six forward for them, can can stretch defenses a little bit from that forward spot. Uh, Cloverdale at sixteen with Butler signee Cooper Neese. 
I know you were high on Frankton a little bit, thinking that they could be a little bit better than their preseason ranking. Yeah, they were just uh, a little bit above average team last year, but they return a ton of guys. Uh, Maurice Knight's back, a forward that can do a little bit of everything, good athlete, rebounds really well. Then they had some young pieces. Uh, they're going to have a couple of sophomores really contribute this year. Uh, I'm definitely interested to see what Frankton does overall this season. It might take them a little bit to get rolling because they do, even though they have a little bit of experience, they're still pretty young. Right below them, Broad Ripple, too. They're going to be a really talented team in 2A with Caleb Brown, who uh, started his high school career at North Central. Uh, can step out, hit a three, really good athlete, You know, take it off the dribble, strong. So it'll be interesting to see what... Uh, Broad Ripple can do this year as well. Yeah, I remember watching them a couple of years ago in the sectional at uh, Short Ridge High School, and they really struggled, but they were all freshmen and sophomores. Now is when you hope the dividends of them taking their lumps early on in their high school career at the varsity level, now is when you hope that payoff happens and they can really uh, make some moves in 2A. And it's kind of interesting that West View is all the way down at 15 when uh, they played four or five freshmen last year and won the sectional. Um, then performed pretty well in the regional as well. And the Riders still put them at 15. Uh, they should be a really good team in 2A. And then we'll flip down to, to 1A, uh, Liberty Christian at the top spot. I think a team you have to look at here is University. They've got some some really good pieces uh, coming back from a fairly successful team last year. Um, they're at the sixth spot. I think they have a chance to be pretty good this year. Yeah, but you you skipped over the top team, Tinley, with all the what they return: Eric Hunter, Hunter White, uh, KJ Coleman. That whole 2018 group is, I would say, a easy pick for the top spot in 1A. Yeah, there's and like you said, they're 2018. They're only juniors, so you could be looking at a two-year run here for Tinley. Seton Catholic at five, losing do everything Desmond Bain from last year. It's going to be tough for them to replace all that he brought to there. He's off to a good start at TCU this year as well. They played a couple of cupcakes so far, but he's put up good stats. Yeah, leading them in scoring, I think, through their first two games. We've also had a recent run of college commitments as the signing period has started and now closed here for the fall. A few small college, couple Division I uh, signees here over the past few weeks. Let's start off with the biggest name, obviously, and that's Mr. Basketball candidate Chris Wilkes of North Central heading out to the West Coast and UCLA. Yeah, yeah, you don't really even need to call him a candidate. I think that's um, about a 95% chance that he's going to win Mr. Basketball. So um, I've always kind of thought Wilkes would end up at a, a, one of the coasts, either East Coast, West Coast, either a, a Maryland was a front runner in my eyes for a while, Washington with the connection to Michael Porter Jr. and that family. Um, UCLA obviously ended up getting them. Uh, that was always kind of a, a team in the mix for them. Um, Wilkes overall kept things pretty quiet on the recruiting front, kept it wide open. Took He ended up taking three official visits. He had five planned, didn't end up going to UConn or Xavier. Uh, Xavier was the one he canceled too, right? It was those yes. two. Um, so then he ends up at UCLA. It seems like it's going to be a decent fit. I don't know. Uh, nothing too bad to say about it, I guess. No, obviously. And, and I think a lot of people have 
with his addition, put UCLA as so far at least having the number one recruiting class in the country. He does seem to me like, like you said, going to one of the coasts, seems like a Pac-12 or ACC type of player. Yeah. Seems like his game would definitely thrive in the styles of play in those conferences. Kind of a little bit more open, not the you know pounded out Big Ten classic style that the Midwest kind of gets a reputation for. But yeah, he should. And the reason, one of the reasons why UCLA is so high is now they have five players committed in the 2017 class, and you always get extra points for extra guys. So that's kind of one of the reasons why they're up so high. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they had some freshmen step up for them with Lonzo Ball and TJ Leaf this year. So kind of a new movement for UCLA. Hopefully, building off this talented 2016 class they have with another good 2017 class. Yeah, could I see the Bruins come back to prominence here in the next few years. Yeah, I don't know if Ball will be around for next year or not, but definitely bringing in some talent. Steve Alford is. Let's go to another Division One signee, kind of the opposite from North Central High School. We're going with <laughs> Ben Clinker out of Oldenburg Academy, heading to West Point. Yeah, this is a. Uh... Kind of a big stretch four type of guy, decent athlete. Um, the thing that really pops out is his size and his uh, shooting motion. It looks good every time he shoots it. Um, then you throw in his excellent grades, and he's a, a pretty natural fit for Army trying to get top-level academic guys and the best players they can get, basically. Yeah, and this is the second year in a row that the Black Knights have gotten a kid from Indiana last year picking up Tucker Blackwell, Bloomington South. Uh, heading back to Southern Indiana with uh, Ben Kinker. Like you said, big stretch four that can really light it up from the perimeter and a good athlete as well. Yeah, and then recently we've had a bunch of small college guys uh, commit instead of playing out the season. Um, I would say basically the headliner, I would say, well, I guess there's a few guys, so I won't say headliner. Uh, we have Tyler Smith from Northeastern going down to Florida Southern. Florida Southern's <laughs> had a pipeline through Indiana for many years now, ended up Winning the D2 national title a couple of years ago with Link Darner at the helm. Seems like he's going to be a pretty good fit. Tyler Smith's one of the toughest kids in this uh, 2017 class in Indiana. So I think he's going to he's going to do pretty well at that D2 level. Yeah, he's a kid who uh, held, I think, a couple Division One offers at the time and just found, I think, the right fit at Florida Southern. Like you said, a tough kid, that style of play, especially um, wanting to get up and down as Florida Southern does. He's a really athletic and quick point guard. Uh, should be a good fit for them. Speaking of athletic and quick point guards, let's go to Grace College and their pickup of Logan's port guard, Matt Jennings. Yeah, there's few guys, um, not only in Indiana, but Midwest and country that can keep Matt Jennings in front of him. He's proven that over his career. Whether it be in AAU with Grassroots Indiana or with Logan Sport, he's put up a ton of points. I believe he's already over a thousand points, if I remember correctly, at Logan Sport. So that's pretty impressive playing a 4A schedule, entering your senior year already over a thousand points. Kind of exemplifies how much of a scorer he is. Yeah, and he's a kid who accentuates his quickness with the ability to hit shots from deep. I know he's over 40% from three during the high school season last year. Uh, equally adept at catching and shooting as well as pull-up threes. Um, can kind of get uh, a little focused on the rim at times, but when you're as quick as he is and can score it like he can, like you said, there's not a lot of people who can get in, get in his way. And he's actually a lot stronger than he looks 
Wiry shark, wiry. Wiry is, as some people would say, farm boy strong, but uh, he's definitely a load to keep out of the paint, and he can finish in there against much bigger by. He's a very good athlete. I think that's a, a very good pickup for Grace. Speaking of a guy that knows how to get into the lane, Dominic Jenko from Zionsville, he committed to Bethel recently. He's not as quick, not quite as quick as Jennings, but he kind of has, uh, he just knows how to get by guys. He lived at the line last year for Zionsville. Um, really good finisher when he gets into the lane. I think this is going to be a solid four-year pickup for Bethel. Yeah, and he's he's gradually improved his uh, perimeter shooting to where now he's definitely got to be respected out behind the arc. But like you said, just very able to maneuver and get into the lane. Doesn't have an explosive burst, but very crafty. Good mid-range pull-up game, and he's a kid who uh, really – Took Zionsville on his back a few times last year and looked for more of the same for the Eagles and Dom Jenko. Yeah, I know a lot of people around the Zionsville program that, although Isaiah Thompson led them in scoring, they thought Jenko was really the backbone of that team. And if they needed a big shot, they would want the ball in his hands last year. Um, so definitely a good player. And then a couple D3 pickups, both going to DePaul, uh, Josh Hall from Bloomington South and Ken Decker from Crown Point. Uh, I've liked both these guys. Decker has kind of always played the second or third option, even in AAU. He'll get the rebounds, he'll defend, and then he's become a really good spot up shooter. I think that's what he'll be, will be his biggest role for DePaul spot up shooting, play some defense. Um, probably will have to work his way into the rotation early in his career, but down the road, I think he'll be a nice contributor for them. Yeah, shooter with some good size, obviously coming from a very successful Crown Point High School program. Uh, kind of gets lost, obviously, behind Grant Gillon last year and Sasha Stefanovich this year, but he's definitely a kid that you have to respect from deep and knows how to play off the bounce as well. And Josh Hall has really expanded his game recently, a Bloomington South uh, prospect. He's been mainly a back-to-the-basket player uh, up to this point in his career, but over the spring and summer, he really worked to expand his range. He could be a little bit of a stretch four for DePaul. So it should be interesting to uh, see how those guys work out. Yeah, I think both of those good pickups for the D3 level. Trevor, I know one of the hot topics year in and year out in Indiana high school basketball particularly is the role of transfers. And you found some very interesting numbers on the IHSA's website regarding transfers. Talk a little bit about what we've got here in front of us. The main thing I saw with the IHSA ruling on transfers is basically they let everybody be eligible, and then they nitpick it's almost randomly, certainly not random, but it's usually higher-profile cases where they want to prove a point or something like that, where they then declare the player, prospect, student-athlete, whatever you want to call them, either ineligible totally, which is only 23 cases all of last year out of 4,500 transfers, or limited eligibility where the student athlete is not able to play varsity but can play JV and lower level competition. Um, basically, I think the numbers are basically what I just said. They nitpick a very small percentage of uh, transfers to go after instead of either, you know, Really looking into most cases where I think a lot of more limited eligibility would be determined if you look into every single case, which obviously would be a ton of time for the IHSA and they don't have those resources. 
or um, just letting pretty much anybody transfer that wants to. Yeah, kind of free reign. I I think my opinion on the matter might be, I don't know if it's maybe a little bit different than yours or not, but um, usually the IHSAA, when there's a transfer that happens regarding a student athlete, both schools will sign off on it. But um, that happened with Aaron Gordon, and um, the IHSA still went after him. Yeah. I'm, and my, I'm of the opinion that if both schools sign off on a transfer, that should be it done right there. If both schools are fine with it, I don't think the IHSA really should be going after those uh, those students. I think that happens in the vast majority of the cases. Yes. Um, I think obviously when one school doesn't sign off on it, that might be a, a kind of a red flag, I guess you would say, to look into, okay, well, why didn't that school sign off on it? Let's get in to talk to some people here. Let's see what, what we can find out. Well, yeah, and then it kind of just goes back to the schools that don't sign off on it. They're basically um, creating half the problem because the IHSA is usually going to side with the school that doesn't sign off on it because mm-hmm. they aren't going to look into it too deeply. If they voice any concerns at all, um, the IHSA is going to side with the school that didn't sign off. Um, so, I mean, I think basically unless you know something, one school recruited another guy or one of the student athletes, I think the, the school should always sign off on the transfer basically mm-hmm. unless you know some outside influence made the decision for them. And not only you know it, I think I think there has to be obviously some type of burden of proof on the school that doesn't sign off. Like, yeah, you can, I guess, hear things and know it went down, but unless you can prove it, it's it, you're kind of just, I don't, I don't want to say wasting your time, but it almost seems like that, doesn't it? Yeah, I think for the most part, I think ruling anybody limited eligibility or ineligible toll, I mean, you're wasting a lot of time and resources on even looking into it for a day or two, trying to, Go to the school, find out, you know, contact parents, make, you know, drive by their old residence, see what happened there, see if they can find any other, invest, investigate anything else they can do, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's, for the IHSA, it's a big waste of time overall. Yeah. And obviously, I don't think we're, we're condoning, I guess, the recruiting of high school athletes from one school to another school. I don't think... um we really want to see that go on, but we're also not naive enough to understand that that does happen. You do have people going to... But it's usually, if one student does actually transfer because of athletic reasons, it's usually the kid in the family who wants to transfer goes and reaches out to you know the um, successful programs. It's usually not the other way around where the successful programs are you know, actually doing real recruiting of going into the family's home and, you know, arranging, you know, different houses or apartments or any type of recruiting that way. And I think, and I think a lot of it does come down to, uh, school choice, starting out kids, high school careers, not necessarily transfers, you know, after maybe your freshman or sophomore year, but picking, picking the school, like you said, that has a successful program, um, we'll take Carmel Girls Swimming since they've won a state title pretty much every year of my entire life. You know, you have kids, obviously, that, that understand how successful that program has been, so they're going to want to go to Carmel not only starting their freshman year, but families move there so they can be yeah. in that program from the time when those kids are young. Yeah, they'll move when they're in seventh grade and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I know 
if you want to call it recruiting, that's when most of the recruiting goes on. It's before they get into high school. They'll make mm-hmm. a pitch here and there, their program and stuff like that. But there's most of the time, it might happen once in a blue moon, but they're usually not offering jobs or houses or anything no, like that. No, this isn't like blue, big, this isn't blue chips. Like big time recruiting actually happens, but. Yeah, and and also with the way the IHSA's rules are set up, it's a lot harder to come down on a kid who starts their freshman year at school, I guess you would even say for athletic reasons or whatever. It's so much harder to come down on kids that pick a school that way. There's really nothing the IHSA can do. Yeah, I know they've tried to implement a uh, link, a uh, pass link rule. I don't know even if that's in place. Still on the books. Or, yeah how they'll enforce that going forward anyway. So, yeah, I think it's usually going into your freshman year where, you know, a coach or a program might reach out in some way. But overall, I don't see actual recruiting being a problem in Indiana. No, no, certainly not one that requires the amount of attention and resources. I guess that it's it's getting. And, again, we only – I guess hear about it brought to the forefront with the high profile cases, such as like you mentioned earlier, Aaron Gordon moving from North Central to Cathedral. Those are really the only times when it blows up in the media and things like that. It does happen a lot more than than I guess meets the eye, but that's really the one time you really see it go on. Yeah, I'll I will never understand that ruling though. When Jordan Walker also transfers from North Central to Cathedral with Aaron Gordon, same year, same class, everything. IHSA gives Walker full eligibility and Aaron nothing. So, but as we as we look at the numbers here, just for transparency's sake, we'll read you the numbers here. The total number of transfers uh, during the 2015-2016 school years number four thousand five hundred and twenty-three. Uh, complete ineligibility only for twenty-three student athletes. That's half of a percent temporarily ineligible which we believe to mean that the case is still pending uh 391 students that's 8.64 percent uh the limited eligibility like we said no varsity eligibility but eligible for jv in those sports 298 students 6.59 percent and full eligibility uh the vast majority 3811 or 84.26 percent yeah and ideally i would think full eligibility should be above 95%. I would say 90, probably 95 to 97%. All right, Shark, I think that wraps up our uh, first edition of the Indiana Basketball Source podcast of the 2016-2017 high school year. I would like to uh, thank you for doing this with us. Oh, it's always a pleasure. We're looking forward to doing a lot of these this year talking about Indiana high school basketball as the season gets started here next week. Uh, should be a fun season, a lot to look forward to. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a pretty wide open year in most classes. Um, it should be pretty fun. Um, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and uh, make sure you give us a good review if you enjoy listening to these. Thank you for listening to the Indiana Basketball Source podcast. <laughs>